My name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 44 of the show, where we are going to dive into a brand new, fresh off the presses calendar <laughs> year. Oh, I thought you were going to say comic books. Like, no, we're not. Yeah, no, 1964. It's the Happy New Year, baby. Yeah. It's the year of the Beatles. It's the year of the election. What else happens in 64? I don't know. Uh, does James Bond, Dr. No come out, or am I thinking of Dr. Who? I think Dr. No was like 62 or early 63. Oh, okay. I thought Beatles and something else I loved came out around the same time. Maybe it was Dr. Who. Yeah, Dr. No and I Dr. Who and Beatles were all around the same time, but mm. a year or so, a year and change. But not 1964. No, so. but this year, you know, we've got in front of us this year, we've got the Dawn of Daredevil. Ah, uh, that's got, ironic. <laughs> we've got um, Avengers and Sergeant Fury are going to go monthly. Um, what else? Some new stuff's going to happen in the back of Tales of Suspense and um, what's it? Tales to Astonish, I think, before the year's over. Yeah. Yeah, some new guy's coming along pretty soon. Mm -hmm. And then some guy that used to be around is coming back. Yeah, oh, oh, oh. That's next episode. Yeah. So yeah, lots and lots of good things happening. Yeah. This is also the last full calendar year of The Torch. In 1965, he changes out. What does that mean? I mean that, well, like, he's going to go through all of 1964, but in 1965, his, his solo series ends. Oh, Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. This Boy, is, yeah. we really we better cherish each and every story before we have no more to read, I guess. Yeah, that's one that's one phrase you could use for that. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely an option of something we can do. Yeah. <laughs> uh. So January is another big month for Marvel. They're alternating between big and small months. And we're going to make it a little bit bigger because we're doing something special next episode. More on that, you know, next episode. Um But today we're going to dive into um, our first week of comics of the calendar year, which is January 3rd. And we're starting in our earliest chronological story, which is back in the olden days of 1944. Yeah. So we jumped 20 years. Yeah. Assuming that the stuff in 1964 is taking place in 1964. I assume that it is. It is right now. It won't be eventually, but... So um, who's got this? Uh, who's got the Sergeant Fury recap? Guess what? Not me again. Really? Yeah, because so I did bizarre. Scarecrow last time with Iron Man. Okay. So finally, you're getting some World War II action because well, it's because very stressful. On the episode that released today, as we're recording Sergeant Fury mm-hmm. Four, that was me as well. Yeah, I really enjoy it a lot better when you summarize these than, than when I do it, but especially this one because it has okay. actual real world stuff. Well, um, this is Sergeant Fury number six. It is a book-length Marvel bombshell known as The Fangs of the Fox, based on a little-known incident of the North African campaign. Fury's howlers tackle the mighty Africa Corps of Nazi Field Marshal Erwin Rommel, the dreaded desert fox. Real guy. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not going to be easy. Well, first of all, don't forget our credits are special now, so you have we to read them. We now have special credits. You are so correct. I thought about that before. I started reading all the cover copy, and then I forgot. Uh, this is written by ex-Sergeant Stan Lee, U.S. Army. Illustrated by ex-infantryman Jack Kirby, U.S. Army. Inked by George Bell, lettering Art Simic. So um, I guess those guys weren't in the Army? 
I guess not. I guess not. <laughs> Both Lee and Kirby took breaks from their comic book career in order to go and serve for a few years overseas. You know what I'm surprised hasn't happened yet? I know I'm not, I should be doing my recap, but I haven't yet. Um, we haven't got a replacement for Junior yet. No, we haven't. But as we said, uh, when he died, he was kind of the same as the other guy who didn't have freckles. So Right, right. But Maybe I, the whole point was to get rid of one of them. This is this is very possible. I know they're getting another guy soon. I just, for some reason, my head thought it happened really quickly. But, okay. Um, so, I don't remember this story much at all. How does it start? Oh, my gosh. There's, um, there's a guy who is like a brilliant general for the Germans, but we don't even know him yet. We're, we're looking at other stuff at the beginning of this story. There's a guy on a, mo- on a bicycle who trips over a wire, but like, I don't even know who he is. Nick Fury. Is that Nick Fury? Yeah. It just doesn't look like him for some reason. No, but it, it really doesn't. No. Um, okay. So he meets up with his uh, gal friend to go see a newsreel. Mm-hmm. And they, oh, the, the newsreel's about the this newsreel guy. The newsreel is about, about the Silver Fox. Okay. The, the yeah. general who's... Um, that's right. The, general, yeah. the, the newsreel is about his North African campaign and how he's causing a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. And... Um, all right. So then Fury gets orders to go and do a mission in North Africa. I think they're going to go get that guy. So their strategy is since he's so impossible to beat with an entire army, why not just send six guys? This makes complete sense. So Dino Manelli is laid up in the infirmary, from, I guess, from events of last issue, or maybe just because for reasons. And all the nurses are totally mooning over him. I remember that part. And so since Dino Manelli can't go on the mission, they're putting in a, a, a replacement, a temporary replacement, who's um, white and blonde and very American, like very American. So American that whenever American Dino Manelli offers to shake his hand, he's like, Manelli, you're an Italian, huh? And he won't shake Manelli's hand. And Fury's like, okay, maybe I guess he's just trying to show me how tough he is. I guess, what is this? Do you remember this guy's name? Ralston. Stonewell. Right? Stonewell. Stonewell Ralston. Okay, yeah. Or Ralston Stonewell. Or something like that. Yeah. yeah I see both like names that. being used. Okay, so yeah. Stonewell, um, Stonewell goes into the barracks He's not happy to meet Izzy. Izzy is Jewish. Uh, he is very happy to meet Rebel. Rebel Ralston. Ra- Rebel's the guy whose name is Ralston. Stonewell is, is the big guy. Okay, so he's very happy to meet Rebel Ralston because, you know, he's white and Southern American. He hears the name Dum uh, Dum Dugan is happy to see him. He hears the name Gabe Jones is happy to see him because he'll be bunking with him. He's bunking above Gabe Jones. Gabe Jones is like, nice to meet you too. And holds out his dark-skinned hand and Stonewell backs off. He's like, wait a second, there's no way I'm sleeping in this barracks. And that's when Fury twigs to the fact that Stonewell is a dyed-in-the-wool, blue-eyed, evil-hearted bigot. I say evil-hearted because I'm being dramatic. But he is not a nice guy. He's got lots and lots of pe- uh, prejudices. And Fury says there's no room for that in this squad. We're all here together and you work with all of us or you can stay home. So they go on their mission. They're searching out this um, Silver Fox guy, this General Rommel in Germany. Um, they capture him pretty uh, pretty handily, too, actually. 
Stonewell kind of makes a botch of things because he uh, he and Gabe are sent to do some work and uh, he thinks that Gabe was just going to mess everything up. So he tries to do it all himself and in turn messes everything up. They capture the general and the general starts talking to him and says, you know, I hear the way you're talking to the other guys. You would fit in well with the Nazis. And um, Stonewell doesn't really like that talk because, of course, he is you know, very anti-Nazi and he is very pro-American, but you know, I guess if, if, if you walk like a duck and sound like a duck. So anyways, um, there's more shenanigans. There's the whole mission. And eventually at the end of the story, they don't end up, well, they run to this like really, really big army in Northern Africa and they, they, they get help finding it because they meet this, um, I don't know if they say he's, they say he's Arabic. They maybe they made an Arab who gives them lots of hospitality, gives them horses to cross some desert lands, and they run into this really huge mass of tanks and army and everything. But uh, at the end of the story, they end up not capturing the general. The general gets free, but it's okay because we have learned that there is a plot to assassinate that general they're just going to let that assassination plot happen instead. Um, at one point during the story, Stonewell gets injured, needs a blood transfusion. Uh, Gabe Jones is happy to donate. Whenever Stonewell wakes up and sees that Gabe Jones is one who gave him the blood, he's pretty peeved about it. Um, but he leaves and he slips uh, slips Gabe Jones and Izzy a love note as he leaves saying, hey, call me, boys. And uh, they wonder if maybe he was actually okay and maybe learned his lesson at the end of it all. And there's a little little morality note that, you know, if we can fight bigotry everywhere we see it, then maybe little by little we can actually make this world a better place and then change some hearts along the way. So with apologies for stumbling there in the early parts of the story, because I, I don't know, it just took a while for me to figure out how it got going. That is our Sergeant Fury issue. What did you think about this one? Well, pretty much the parts you remember are the parts I like. Like, uh, you know, the whole bigotry thing and the Stonewall thing. Otherwise, it's a lot like most of the other issues. Um, it's said at the beginning, of course, uh, the fangs of the fox. So I immediately looked up this guy because I've never heard of him. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Maybe I should have. But And Wikipedia had like a 4,000-page thing on him. So I admit I kind of didn't read it. <laughs> or at least a lot of it. I skimmed it a little bit. Um but I was wondering, I was just thinking, like, before I even started reading it, you know, if this guy's a real guy, then not much is going to come of this story because the Howlers can't kill him or kidnap him or affect him really in any way because obviously he was real and uh, he was dead before this issue six even came out. So I kind of knew going in it was going to be like this is the first time they don't complete their mission mm-hmm. and it's okay. And it's okay, I guess. But, uh, yeah, look at my notes. Yeah. I got some details wrong at the end there. There wasn't an assassination plot against him. He was involved in an assassination plot against Hitler. He was theoretically involved. Right. Most, people, most people think he was. He denied it. He was killed for it. He was killed for No, he was. Well, yeah, he was allowed to commit suicide. Yeah, he committed suicide, but he was going to be killed for it. Yeah. That's yeah. the part I skipped to on Wikipedia. That was the good part. But, yeah. Because uh, he was, it turns out, even though he was. A very devoted German officer, sworn uh-huh. to obey his commanding officer and sworn to uphold all things, you know, German. He was not really a true believer of Hitler's whole Nazi thing. And which so whenever I, which there I was think an assassination probably, plot that he was implicated in. Go ahead. I was going to say, that's probably more common than we think. 
Probably. Um, but yeah, so he was given the choice to either commit suicide with some honor um, and not have his name dragged through the mud or be court-martialed and, and go down in disgrace. Mm-hmm. So he chose the uh, the less disgraceful way out. And sure enough, his family was allowed to continue on with their integ- their their you know, integrity yeah. intact. So he's like not even I mean, he's on the cover and it's oh the fangs of the fox and the first splash page is we're gonna deal with this real guy, but then he's not even really in the book. Yeah, only a little bit. Yeah. I like that we saw Pamela Hawley in this issue. Um we didn't see her at all last issue, I think, because of the Baron Strucker affair. Mm-hmm. Um, so she has, it's nice that she hasn't been forgotten. I'm trying to remember this whole, what the frick this bicycle page is too. I honestly cannot remember what, what the point of this is. He is riding a bike. He trips over it. He's fighting. Are they German? They must be. I guess. Where is he? But then he just goes to the movies. So that was all pointless. That's why we don't remember what happened there. I don't know. I guess we're just, yeah, we're just catching him in the middle of his action. And he's like, I've got a heavy date tonight, so you better leave me alone. Um, he deposits the three beaten Nazis at headquarters and meets Pamela Holly for the for the movie. Okay, so that was just all always kind of weird. But anyway, yeah, yeah, I thought yeah, it's not part of the story, and I thought it was, and I was trying to figure out what was going on. Um, the North African campaign does place this story very squarely in 1942. If anyone's keeping track at home, okay. Um, Rommel and his forces uh, held the town of Tobruk from June to November, and Tobruk is what is the town they. Um, they go after to liberate or something like that. I forget exactly what they say about it. On page nine, they mention the actual town of Tobruk. I think in the first issue, we we had an idea that because like the beginning of the that whole plot of that first issue was trying to get back a guy who was captured who knew the information about D Day, right? Mm-hmm. And then in the last panel, it's like, and then the Howlers were at D Day, which would yeah. put that which would be really later in the war. So I think you and I were like wondering. Does this book like kind of go back and forth? Does it matter? Like you could have this mission yesterday or tomorrow, right? As long as what's his face is still dead. I guess we haven't really been. I haven't really been paying attention to it. Have like any time they throw out dates? Are we being? Are we being? Uh, you know, are we going in a certain order, or have they jumped around? Yeah, I really think that the um, the the howlers are time travelers. Oh, is that the problem? Okay. Yeah, because their narrative goes straight through the book. I mean, you can't okay. rearrange. The, it's not like you can rearrange the events of the story to fit the chronology of the war and have it still make sense with the characters. But the characters are definitely hopping around through history in ways that don't really make a lot of sense. Okay. Um, but there's a part on page five where um, everyone is jumping from a plane and everyone gets a little panel. And I mm-hmm. love the description of Dugan, because it is, uh, it describes him as Corporal Dum Dum Dugan, the flinty, crusty veteran of a hundred prize fights with the heart of melted butter. <laughs> I think that's the official handbook description, too. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, if he's not messing about his wife, he's griping about his mother in law, which my ugh, mother in law was at the other end of this ever loving shoot. So, um, yeah. Yay. And this, this whole scene is just so we get Dino taken out. Oh, yeah, that's because he breaks his arm in this parachute mm-hmm. jump. That's what happens. Yeah. You know, you every time in the past you've said the stories are all alike, I've been kind of like, but they're not all alike. There's so many different things that happen. And then I could have a hard time really keying into the events of this particular issue from my memory um, just by, you know. Um, but I, I got – I finally realized what you were saying. And th- this series never does a character spotlight. No. 
there's no like, oh, we have our band of adventurers. Let's do an Izzy Klein episode. Is 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 Izzy Klein his name? Izzy something. I think it's something else. I think Izzy Klein is a guy on Facebook. Um, let's you know they never do it. Let's do a Dino Manelli episode where we focus on Dino and, and do a story that like he's into his character and his backstory and everything. They don't do that with the Howlers, and I kind of wish they did. Well, now I'm thinking about our other group titles we cover, and I'm not sure they do much of it there either. So what's the difference? The difference might be they all dress in green and none of them have distinct superpowers. So right. I can't tell them apart. But like, has there been like a human torch? Well, I guess there has in Fantastic Four. For instance, he left the group once. That was kind of his thing. Uh, Reed and Sue pine over each other sometimes. I don't know. The Avengers are too early. Not They've only been the Avengers so far. There's not been an Iron Man story or anything. No, but but the the, the beauty of the Avengers is they all have their own solo titles. That's the fan, true. The Fantastic Four and the X-Men spend a lot of time giving each character little vignettes. Like, yeah. we know the Torch and the Thing and the Invisible Girl. We know each of those characters really well. Yeah. The only character in the Howlers that we know is Sergeant Fury. Sergeant Fury because he's grumpy and Dum Dum because he's funny. Um, and all the rest are just kind of noise. Yep. It's Each sad. one has a particular color of noise, but they're really just noise. Yeah. Speaking of color, um, that was probably the best bit of this story was the Stonewall stuff and mm-hmm. the uh, the exceptionally uh, 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 future thinking mind of a 1944 character, I guess, in Nick Fury and his group. Or even yeah. 1964, for that matter. But uh, it is kind of a shame that every once in a while, um, Gabe is not colored correctly when they're talking yes. about how bad his, you know, how Stonewall hates his color. <laughs> and he's the, a white guy. <laughs> yeah, in the in the, the parachute flight, he's miscolored, which is fixed mm-hmm. in the digital, but he's miscolored there. And there's one or two other places. On page was- 12, when Stonewall and Gabe are actually fighting, they're both white. Oh, yeah. I, my note for that was badly timed miscoloring. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like, what's your problem? He looks fine. Anyway. Yeah. I didn't I – didn't, um, at first, I didn't get what was going on. Maybe because I never realized that uh, white people are sometimes racist towards Italians. That's interesting. Well, see, that's something that kind of gets, you know, um, glossed over. So much of modern-day bigotry is geared towards a visual – visually identified differences Mm -hmm. you know somebody looks muslim therefore they're a threat somebody looks black therefore they're different Mm -hmm. um a lot of our non-visible bigotries that we see in america today are geared towards gender and uh, sexuality those are less visually identifiable um but we certainly key in on them if they show up in any sort of visual fashion. You know, she looks too mannish or he looks too, you know, too flaming or whatever. Um, but a hundred years ago, there were still lots of bigotries against different flavors of European. Yeah. Uh, Italians, um, Irish, um, you know, certainly the Jewish community has a variety of skin tones in it because of their, of their history. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you find out somebody's Jewish, even if they, you know, weren't easily identifiable from the front. You find out they're Jewish. You're like, oh, well. So it's it's um certainly I'm glad we've moved away from all of that. 
I don't know. What, what have, we, have we dumbed down bigotry? Is that what we're doing? <laughs> yeah, I guess. I guess. Yeah. Like, you know, when America was formed, we probably had like the Italian population and the Irish population, mm-hmm. you know, keeping separate and stuff like that. But I don't feel like that's really happens as much as anymore. Maybe I'm ignorant about that or something. Now it seems all more visually based on skin tone or, mm-hmm. you know, cult the way you dress or something. Whereas I don't, I don't think people are, oh, you're. You're a Polak or whatever anymore. I don't know. Maybe they do. I don't. I don't see it. I don't know about it. Um, yeah. If it happens, I'm unaware of it. And it may mm-hmm. be that there are like there are still like cities where those divisions are much more like present. Like maybe sectors of New York or something. But well, probably Scotland hates England still, or vice versa. Something like that. If not those particular yeah. ones, and something like that. See, yeah. I mean, I'm a mutt. I don't know about you. So how do I even judge anybody? Yeah, I'm Scotch Irish. I have Irish. it all on me, so I'm Scotch yeah. Irish. I know that I'm Scotch Irish. You know why? Mm. My dad told me I was Scotch Irish. That's how go. I know. Yeah, it's probably true. So um, Stonewall did not like being grouped together with Nazis. Yeah, because even when you're a villain, there's villainy and then there's different. villainy. Right, but you know who? Um, you, you know, I still hear that today, though. It's like they keep calling us Nazis. We're not Nazis. I hear that, you know, like on Twitter and online, it's like, well, maybe you should stop saying things that make you sound like Nazis. Yeah, this guy they captured, who I don't even know who it is supposed to be, like just a guy they captured, is talking exactly like him. Mm-hmm. So, and I think that was the point, obviously. Right, um, right. And he even gets cut off, like he's going to say something back to the guy, the German he says, I'm not, not, I'm not a Nazi either, and what's more? And then he gets cut off. So we never know what he's going to say, whether he's going to maybe redeem himself a little bit and, and stick up for the people that the German is slamming or not because, you know, they get interrupted and the German guy dies. And Yeah, to be honest, I honestly didn't know where that part of the story was going to turn. If Stonewall was going to stand against them or if he was going to be like, oh, yeah, you know, you got some good things to say here, Mr. German. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't sure either. I mean, that is the point of why he's here is he's the only guy who can speak German. So technically, he could have betrayed them here because mm-hmm. they don't know what he's saying. But Get, Getting a, a, a contact with an Arab who gives them a lot of hospitality, I felt was very in keeping with the message that you have all these different kinds of people in different parts of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're all, you know, working together to try to stop the the evil empire and gives them food and gives them mounts across the the land. So, um, Oh, and that, that page with that army spread out. Oh my gosh. That's a great page. Yeah. Yeah. The art on that is just fantastic. Imagine how long it took him to do all that. So, uh, I don't know who the Fox is and now I'll be ignorant about, um, civil rights movement and ask you maybe if you know, uh, in 1964, is this like, is this comic book really forward thinking or, or we're we moving we towards are in that? the swing of the civil rights movement. Um, I I want to say that I have a dream is in 1963. Mm. Uh, I'm typing that into Google right now. Um, yeah, August 1963. So uh, Martin Luther King is certainly uh, a moving force. Um, he still has four years ahead of him of life and action, but. The question of of what's going to happen with the civil rights is definitely very, very prominent. So, you know, Lee and Kirby and all of them. And of course, you got to remember, Lee and Kirby are Jewish men. A lot of the comics yeah. industry are Jewish men. That's true. And this whole book, you know, the first five issues has had 
various ethnicities on the same team, mm-hmm. which, as we've said, I think you pointed out before, is not normal in World War II. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and based on this comic, I, I like the idea that you mentioned a few episodes back that maybe Gabe Jones was like specially selected, even if it wasn't policy to have integrated units. Maybe mm-hmm. Sergeant Fury specifically selected Gabe Jones on on the team for you know reasons that we don't know. Because Fury uh, clearly does not care about race or color or yeah anything anything other than a man's ability. Because he so, gets really annoyed with this guy. Yeah, I like the idea that Fury one day was like, you know what, let's have that guy on the team. But you know, Sergeant, he's he's you know to use the term of the time, he's a colored. And but and he's like I don't I don't care he's the best you know dang bugleist he's the best dang sharpshooter he's the best dang whatever Gabe Jones's skills are he's the best dang guy we got you know, you know what the Halloween Commandos needs a bugler <laughs> sorry that's the first thing I mentioned but honestly that is his shtick that is his visual oh, yeah. cue that may be all he's good at I have no idea in my mind he's a sharpshooter so he's gonna be the sharpshooter as well until we hear different I think Izzy is actually the sharpshooter but you know what too bad yeah. We got to give Gage Jones some fucking skills. <laughs> I kind of wish Stonewall or Stone. Why well, I already forgot his name? It's not Stonewall. Stonewell. Stonewell. I kind of wish he stuck around because he's not great, but he had some moments, and he's distinct. So I remember who he is. We know him. Then we we know him better than we know anybody else on the team, Mike. <laughs> right? Yeah. So maybe having one guy that's kind of jerky would be interesting. And my last note is that the German doctor at the end also has more humanity with him than the American bigot does. The <gasps> oh. German doctor. The doctor yeah. whose nationality would should have him allegiance to the Nazis. Instead, his allegiance is to medicine first. I'm glad you pointed that out because I forgot. But I really like that part. Not only because, again, it's another part of this theme where, you know, you never know. And it's not about skin color. It's about people. But that Stan or whoever wrote this did that is also good because he could easily just stereotype all Germans as bad guys and got away with it. But uh, he didn't. So that was cool. Yeah, it is cool. Anything else on this issue before we turn our eyes to the future? I, Oh, the future. I like what you did there. Nope. I'm ready to go. All right. Bring it. Except I am almost ready to go. Okay, here we go. We are going to talk about Journey into Mystery number 102 called... Slave of Zarko, the Tomorrow Man. Dun, dun, dun. Um, see what he did? The future? Get it? Okay. Let me find the uh, credits. Oh, boy. What is this called? Alliteration or something like that? Yes. I'm not the best at reading Dr. Seuss. Let's try it. Cunning, <laughs> cunningly conceived by Stan Lee. Darlingly drawn by Jack Kirby. Is that a word? Okay. It is now. Ingeniously inked by Chick Stone. That was easier. And lovingly lettered by Art Simek. I think it's daringly drawn by Jack Kirby. I think you put too many L's in there. Oh, darlingly. I like, the idea, I like the idea of darling Jack Kirby. Though. <laughs> he always struck me as a darling. Just you know, somebody yeah. you want to just love up next to, right? Daringly drawn makes, makes so much more sense, though. It really for does, a Thor comic. Okay, so if you all remember, kids, last issue. Because now we're starting to get some stories that continue. And I feel like Jack is really playing that up for this one. Because we get like a whole page or two about what happened last issue so just really really quick now i have to summarize two stories no okay, um, hold on. before you do this before you do yeah. this i need a recap <laughs> i'm reading a recap of what happened last time oh, it's man. gotta be quick and tell the events for those of us who forgot all the lines did you just make that up or is that a thing 
I, I, I might have just made it up five minutes before we start recording. <laughs> if, man, if we could have that professionally done and insert that every time we have to do a recap, that'd be awesome. Uh, so if anybody out there knows how to do that. But, okay. So, yeah, Thor still loves Jane and Odin hates that. So he banned him from Asgard and he took away half of his power exactly. We all know that for some reason. And Loki is also out for no reason. And he decided to look through all of time and space for a villain that could beat up Thor while he's at half power. He found Zarko. He gave Zarko back his memory because two stories ago, recap, recap, that's how it ended. Uh, Zarko lost his memory, so stopped trying to attack present day Earth. So he comes back to attack present day Earth with like this mining robot that he, whatever, jerry rigged or something. And Thor cannot beat him. So he says, listen, Thor, I'm going to use this mining robot to take over the entire planet, or you could agree to come back to the future and help me destroy it. And Thor agrees because he's a cool guy, I guess. And Odin sees this and thinks his son's a bad guy. And anyway, now we're at this story and they go to the future and he immediately has Thor like break stuff. So all the automation like, you know, those like, what are those things called? Not escalators, but like the kind of walkie escalator things you see at airports and stuff. He's breaking that. Moving platforms. Yeah, moving platform. He's breaking robot police traffic things. Um yeah, so he breaks a bunch of stuff, and then he goes – what he wants to do ultimately, it turns out, is apparently in this future, they're all controlled by this Star Trek master computer thing. Um, so he wants, But it's a hidden location for obvious reasons. Nobody wants to have it tampered with, I guess, especially this guy Zarko. So he has to go to like uh, – I don't know, the government building to figure it out. He takes Thor with him. They try and stop him. Remember, this future supposedly has no weapons, but – now they kind of have weapons, sort of. They look like guns, but I guess really they're just for like fixing machines or something. But they try and use them on Thor. He blocks them easily with his hammer. And he uses – and then Zarko demands that Thor like stop them. And Zarko's thinking like, you know, kill them. But Thor's trying to do as minimal amount of damage as possible. So he just uses his, his like hammer to reflect light and like hypnotize them and stuff. And Zarko's like, ah, fine, whatever. Gah. Anyway, they finally get into this uh, – United Nations looking place and he's like where's the master computer and they're like oh we have no choice we have to tell you because Thor and so they do but Thor while Zarko's not looking leaves a note anyway then he and Zarko um, head to this place it's in the mountains Thor uh, uh, hammers open the iron door and then immediately the supercomputer attacks but even at half power it's no match for Thor and Thor eventually gets out of it. It's like this big robot spider thing, and he just, like, smacks it to the moon. They find the uh, computer. Zarko's all like, hee, 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 finally, I get to take over the world. And Thor's like, oh, so then I've honored my agreement then? It's like, yes, yes, you've done everything I've asked. It's great. Okay, cool. Now I'm going to stop you. Because I guess, as a god, when you make an agreement, you have to keep it. That's what he felt this entire issue. Uh but now he's free from that because he got him to the computer and Zarko was happy. So now he's going to stop him. So he tries to beat him up. Zarko uses like this freeze gun on him, but that doesn't work because he's the mighty Thor. And then he like tries to use the computer on him. But apparently Thor the entire time was creating static electricity. <laughs> creating static electricity with his hammer to like wake the computer back up and turn on its defenses again. The computer puts Zarko in some weird plastic bubbly thing. Um Thor delivers them to the 
delivers him to the proper authorities. They all say, thank you. You're the greatest Superman we've ever known. He travels back to his present day because he has that kind of power. Loki's super bummed. Um, and his father is like, oh, my son is cooler than I thought. He was going to stop him the entire time. The end. Yeah. I think it had a stronger start than it did for a finish. But So far, that's been the case on all our cliffhangers. Yeah, I mean, it's not as bad as the last cliffhanger resolution was by any stretch of the imagination. Oh, you but, mean Mr. Mr. Hyde? Yeah, Mr. Hyde. Where they just ignored it completely? Yeah. Yeah, that was bad. Yeah, he actually did go to the future in this one, so that's cool. <laughs> Can you imagine the last page of the last chapter and Thor is going to the future? Why is he going to the future? Find out next time. And next time Thor goes on a date with Jane. <laughs> yeah, that'd be really bad. But that's basically what happened with Mr. Hyde. Yeah. Um, why is Thor going evil? Find out next time. Uh, so, moving what on. Um, yeah, yeah moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Thor sees himself. How did I do that? I don't know. Anyway, let's keep going after Hyde. Yeah. So, the thing I don't like about this, this is, Thor has Worf syndrome. Worf syndrome. Okay, let's hear when it. When it comes to your honor, oh, you become a stupid idiot and make the worst decisions ever. Mm-hmm. I mean- Thor has promised Zarko to go into the future for, you know, some reason to save Earth. Why does he feel the need to maintain that promise? Why can't he just be like, I'm going to say this to, you know, to better stop him? I mean, honestly, it's weird that I'm like rooting for the guy to be deceitful. And he would probably get really mad at me for saying that. But Mm -hmm. still. Well, it's the 60s. And I think 40s, 50s, and a lot of the 60s characters, superhero characters, had this whole, like, I shall never tell a lie thing, or I shall always tell the truth thing. Like Superman? Yeah, and I guarantee you, you've probably read a story where Superman honored something he said he would do, even though it was the silliest thing he could possibly be doing. Honestly, yeah, I have. Superboy even more than Superman, but yeah. Yeah, so it's like, okay, fine, I agree to help this guy rob a bank, so I gotta follow through. Right, right. Yeah, um... Even though that guy has no honor, so why do you have to, you know, give him yours? I guess, but maybe someone would argue, well, that's the whole point. You don't want to be like that guy. I don't know. You're right, though. That's a little too. It's like why you're risking the entire planet for your honor. Is that honorable? You know, your background is really dating this episode. My what? The background music. <laughs> it's a stupid clock we have here. Yeah. Well, your your stupid clock is decided that it is it is the season to sing Christmas songs. We're yes, recording the, the night before December 1st. At 6 o'clock, apparently, because the bird came out to sing. Yeah. Um, the other thing, though, is Thor is a dummy because, like we said, you know, Zarko created this if this then or if or if or else scenario that didn't need to exist, really. Like a half-powered Thor could not beat this robot. Therefore, no one can beat the robot. So it's like... Either do everything I say or I'll let this robot destroy the planet. But he could have just been like, well, someone else will stop the robot. Yeah. And also, if Thor can't stop the robot, why doesn't Zarko just bring the robot back to his future and use him? Because it's better than Thor. Oh, yeah. Anyway, just a thought. Maybe there are a few few questions that, that need answers in this story. Um, and Zarko's entire plan seems to depend on Thor being an electronics expert. Did you notice that little detail? No. Page eight, the last panel. Uh-huh. Here you will find, uh, this is the place. Here we will find the master robot. 
which rules the world, and you will perform your final task for me. Here, you will find some way to make me the machine's master, and then I shall release oh. you from your oath. Yeah, maybe he assumes the machine has defenses that Thor can get past, but maybe if he, does, if he doesn't know anything about the machine, then yeah. And Thor's not going to be able to like reprogram that thing. I mean, besides <sighs> the fact that he's an Asgardian swords and sorcery guy, he's from the past, and technology changed when you weren't looking. I feel like this story cheats on Zargo's Zarko's original rules too. Yeah. Like like in his first appearance, he is from a future of peace and he can't stand it. So he goes to the past to find a bomb because they have no weapons in the future. He brings that bomb back and that allows him to be king because he has his bomb. Mhm. And nobody else knows what to do about it. But in this, they got guys with guns, they got this giant octopus security guard that I skipped over in my summary because it wasn't important. The, the master machine that runs everything has security systems that Thor has to get past. It's like people understand violence in this world now mm-hmm. and how to stop it. So how come he was able to just rule with one bomb last time? Maybe they have set up things as a result of that event. Mm. They had developed. That could te- be. Yeah. They, they responded. and They're trying to not be caught so flat footed next time. Okay. I like that cannon. That works. Okay. And um, yeah. I think I'm running out. I love the suggested visual. There's there's this one part where the hammer is, um, let's see, it's on page 11. Page 11, the last panel, he says, uh, long enough to catch my enchanted hammer, which must always return to me, even if you had covered it with the majestic Alps themselves. Yeah. And so, like, in my head, I imagine the hammer, like, underneath a huge mountain range, and then, like, like bursting its way through it. I like that visual. I think that should happen in a movie sometime. I love that three panels prior. Enough of your witless boasting. We're getting into Thor now, guys. Yes, yes. He's talking very fun. Thor. Talking fun. And page 12, he's just like, um, what does he say? Panel six. Um, one, two, three. Oh, God. Was. That was awkward. While you were talking, I had been gently rubbing my hammer head <laughs> along the ground, picking up vast amounts of natural energy. How does one nonchalantly go about gently rubbing one's hammer head along the ground? I couldn't even get past the dialogue to care about the science. And how how does that not a euphemism? I mean, it's really? It's totally a new euphemism. How did they not know that? I'm going yeah. to gently rub my hammer head, and my hammer is not the hammer. It really makes no sense at all. Like, I don't even, like, he says something like, I have... So now it is able to, again, defend itself. But when was it not able to? Because he beat the spider robot at the beginning? Well, his hammer was a half power. No, no. But he says he rubs his hammer head, makes static electricity, and the computer can defend itself again. That's how he wins. Oh, yeah. But it's like, when could the computer not defend itself? Because he killed the spider thing? Spider oh, robot? Yeah, maybe. So it just seems like weird science. Is like, why, why is giving the computer static electricity making it wake up? I don't know. Whatever. Whatever. It's just a throwaway ending. Thor is at half power. So just so we're clear, at half power, he can still travel through time. Dude, Thor is powerful. I was like thinking about that. What is half power for Thor? You know, still. I don't even think it really has any meaning. Right. If you can lift 100 100 tons, like what's half power? I'll still destroy you. Right. Anyway. I am a god. At half a god, I'm still pretty damn godly. <laughs> and, his, and is there anything? Oh, I guess his hammer's half power too, right? Because he shot it at Hemdil last issue and it didn't work or something. 
But yeah, still travel through time. That's pretty handy. I like that last panel. That's a really cool visual of like him spinning like a top and Loki's angry eyes. Like, I'll get you someday, Scooby-Doo. Right, right. It's pretty cool. Okay, well, that takes us in past The Menace, which is the middle story that we ignore, mm-hmm. to the Tales of Asgard. I feel like I've never summarized this before, but I'm going to. Maybe I have. Um, this is boringly written by Stanley, illustrated by Jack Kirby, inked by Paul Reinman, lettered by Art Simek. It's called Death Comes to Thor, and it's Thor at age 18 now. So he doesn't look like a cool baby X-Men anymore. He kind of looks like himself. And just to clarify, boringly was not written in the credits. The credits were just boring this time. <laughs> right, right. Sorry. Yes. It's just they didn't do anything fun. Um, Thor is riding around with his sword because he's yet to pick up his hammer, if we can all remember that. And he comes across the uh, the fates, I think they're called or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's Greek or Norse, but it's three girls, three old ladies who can see the future. He asks them if he'll ever be able to pick up the hammer. They say, once you meet death, you'll be able to pick it up. So that was badly worded, and he's kind of bummed, and he goes home like, Geez, I have to die to lift this thing? Goes home. He's trying to lift it. He can get it like a quarter of the way going. And Baldar comes in all beat up. And he tells him, you know, the Frost Giants have seized my sister Sif. And I need help. And Thor gets all like emotional about that. And lifts the hammer over his head to go after these giants. Not Frost Giants. Just giants. And uh, he finds them. He easily beats them. Um... And that leads him to this king named Ruga, who is really into being a god, but he's not a god. He's a king. And Thor goes over to put a smack on him. And he's like, wait, before you hurt me, it was Hela the whole time. She promised me immortality if I captured Sif for her. So guess what? Now he has to confront death. Maybe not as literally as he was as he thought originally. So he goes to Hela and she has Sif there, who's this, you know, lovely blonde maiden with a wreath in her hair and stuff. And he's like, don't take this all. And she's like, no, that's what I do. I'm totally going to. And he's like, no, I am a hero and I will give you my soul in exchange for hers. Release her. And this, this sacrifice moves Hela so much because never has she met anybody in her billions of years of living that has offered their own soul to save another's that she releases them both. And Thor rides rides away with her in his arms. And because of this sacrifice, he is now able to lift, or the offered sacrifice, he is now able to lift the hammer fully, even though he did the entire story and just didn't realize it. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of weird. I I think Hela is going to really regret this decision. (laughs) You think? Yeah. And I think it's really not in keeping with her later ideas because she is a real stickler for rules, especially if it means that she's supposed to get something. Mm-hmm. The the Hella that I've read, and granted, I haven't read a whole you know buttload of Hella stories, but I have read a few. The Hella that I've read, if you breaking the rules means that Hella does not get something that Hella is owed, she is not chill with that. So she, she becomes like a reoccurring villain for him, right? Mm-hmm. So like here, she seems more like an abstract, just like the other gods. Mm-hmm. No real character per se. Plus, she's not green; she's purple. No, but she does have this sort of like a really cool hat that she has later. Yeah, that's true. And Sif looks much different than I think of when someone says Sif. Yes. Yeah. This is just this is Sif thrown in as a name from the Norse Eddas. This is not the character Sif we will come to know. 
I did not realize that Sif, at least in Marvel, that Sif is uh, Balder's sister. She's somebody's sister. I don't know if she's always Balder's sister. I think they okay. changed that later, and I don't know if they changed it because it was wrong or they changed it because they forget or, or what. Mm. Um, but I think she is Heimdall's sister later. Okay. Well, I mean, we still have very little info on all these people. Like, even Balder, he has... He doesn't even have a face in this story. You see the top of his head and the top of his head, and he looks kind of like Aquaman with a mustache. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so we haven't really got yeah. these guys fleshed out. And Thor, he's 18, but in Immortal Years, 18 is still a baby, right? Yeah, I was wondering how that worked. I mean, do they just age normally and then live forever, or does 18 in human years take like 6,000 years for them or something? Who knows? I've never been an immortal, so whenever I am, I will let you know. Usually, I guess, fictionally, they age normal and then live forever. But who knows? They taper off and slow down. John Byrne had a cool idea for like uh, one of the, that Elseworlds generation things. Uh-huh. Like the, the older Superman gets, the less he ages. That's interesting. But he's, oh, still, yeah. he's still aging, but it slows down the older he gets. That's interesting. Because mm-hmm. I have seen stories where Superman is imagined to live forever. If he's invulnerable, then he's invulnerable to age and time as well. Yeah, but then there's Kingdom Come where he has little grays on the side of his face, on the side of his head. Well, shall we see what our Asgardian advisor had to say about this issue? Oh, yes. Very curious. Okay, so Gene Hendricks, Gene Gene, the podcasting machine, has been helping us out with our Tales of Asgard. Da-da-da-da-da-da, Gene. And he says, so I guess the Thor must earn the right to lift Mjolnir. That arc didn't last very long, did it? Nope. That's fine with me, as I'm looking forward to other stories, and this was a nice way to wrap it up. Thor saving Sif, who is his wife in the lore, and that is the reason he's able to lift the hammer, makes a lot of sense. Prepare for the retcon, though, when Sif becomes a warrior woman later on and not a damsel in distress. Oh, I beg to differ, Mr. Hendricks. She may become a warrior woman, but she is still most definitely a damsel in distress for a lot of years. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... I'm glad she becomes better later, but oh my god, 1960s and 70s Sif. Uh, okay, um, the fact that she is Heimdall's sister later on and not Baldur's is also changed. Oh, there you go. But that's what? Marvel. Is that also mythology? Gene, let us know. Oh, I guess we okay. could just wiki it. Um, who is? While I'm reading, you look up. Who is Sif's sister in the actual lore? Okay. One of the things I wasn't fond of, though, is the reasoning behind the story. Why would Hela want Sif? That is never explained. It would make more sense if the Storm Giants kidnapped her so that she could become the wife of Ruga, which we've seen as motivation both in the lore and in the future comics. But Hela? Hela has no need of Sif. It's almost like Jack just wanted to draw Hela, so he needed some way to introduce her and didn't want to actually kill any characters. It's not that I don't like the story. I just find this part confusing. I... I was thinking the same thing. They don't really explain why. Right. But, uh, and he gets to hell really easy too, where later I think it seems like a more challenging journey. Yeah. And getting out of hell is that big final battle with, um, the executioner on the bridge. Okay. So based on the introductory paragraph of Wikipedia for Sif, she is the thunder God Thor's wife and is known for her golden hair. And that's all it says about relationships. Oh, Okay, Gene, tell us who who Sif's sister is. Is it supposed to be Heimdall? Or who is it supposed to be? Or maybe she doesn't have anybody else. I don't know. Or it's buried in here somewhere. I'll never find it right now. Right. Um, 
But hey, she has blonde hair in this, so at least they got that part right, and then they get it wrong later. Yeah, and I think the blonde hair is probably in keeping with the uh, the northern genetics mm-hmm. of being Northmen. That's kind of sad, though, if like they specifically say in her entry she's known for her golden hair, and then someone decides, you know what, I'm going to give her black hair later. <laughs> um, Jean goes on to say, um, on a side note, John asked me to give an explanation of the Norns. Because I was wondering, you know, I've, I'm reading Sandman. I'm rereading Sandman um, recently with my son. And um, the fates show up in that pretty quickly. They have the the, mm. the crone, the matron, and the maid. And I didn't know if that visual was, you know, Greek or Norse or where that comes from. Jean says, in the Norse worldview, the Norns are the weavers of weird, which is their word for destiny, which, by the way, is where we get the word weird. Weird used to be a noun. Hmm. And your weird was your fate or your destiny. If you read old Tolkien, you'll run across that usage. Picture everyone's life as a thread with a predetermined length. This thread interacts with the other threads that it comes across to varying degrees. For instance, my thread came into contact with that of my wife's 20 years ago. Initially, it wasn't a very close relationship as we were just in the same class. As time went on, that connection became closer to the point where we are inexorably linked. Tied into that thread as of 10 years ago is our daughter, who will eventually split off and get entwined with other threads. That reminds me of a metaphor that my uh, my dad uses. He's like, when you are when you were a child, you are a recurring character or a featured supporting character in somebody else's show. Then you go off to have your own TV show and other people become supporting characters in your program, which I thought was an interesting way to phrase that. Yeah. And then you have kids and suddenly you're a supporting character again. Right, right. Even though to them, they're the supporting character. So Yeah, that's yeah. weird. And you're sitting there like off the air in your home. That reminds the- me of, of Disney's Hercules where the fates also had strings and they would like cut them when someone was supposed to die and stuff. So maybe Greek and Norse do the same thing. I like that idea. I don't know. Probably you have cultures influencing each other way back there in the past. Yeah. Where the Norns come in is that they can see the entire tapestry of the universe, which no other beings can. They know the starting and ending point and all the connections in between for each individual thread. Each of the Norns has her own area of responsibility for the tapestry, but they often work together. Ord deals with the parts of the tapestry that has already been woven, which means dealing with time-traveling heroes in this context. Verdandi is focused on weaving the current part of the tapestry, changing the design based on the decisions of the individual. Schooled is the one that plans out the pattern, setting the threads in place for weaving, but these could be moved depending on what decisions are made by individuals. So that gives us my idea of the Norn. So there are still three of them in Norse mythology, um, and they are all women. I just don't know if they have like the the age stereotypes that um, the Gaiman uses. Okay. But that's okay. Yeah. So we're getting, I think, past some of the mythology ideas and more into just like Norse set adventures. But he's bringing in mythological concepts as he goes. But he's not actually telling myth stories anymore. No, now it's Thor stories. Yeah. Marvel Thor stories. Okay. So are we ready for the X-Men? Let's get uncanny. Oh, wait. Not yet. (laughs) Let's just get not or, you know, blank X-Men. So... The title of this episode is The Scarlet Witching Hour, Episode 1, which is not really going to be like, you know, a a series, but I wanted to put that as the title of this episode because I really love The Scarlet Witch, and um, I'm so glad that we're finally to the beginning of her story. 
Like she and Carol Danvers vie for my top female spot in Marvel. Wow. And okay. Honestly, are really close to the top period. Um, but yeah. Okay. So the X-Men number four, at last, the X-Men come face to face with the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. You've been waiting for this ever since the angel went crazy in that one tells a suspense issue. <laughs> exactly. Featuring the return of the dreaded Magneto. And uh, I love this cover. It's a great cover. Is this the first time Kirby has done the little bitty heroes with the big menace looming over them? That I've seen that we've covered. Yeah, unless he did it somewhere else. He does this motif a lot. What, did he do it on L'Enfant Terrible? Oh, you know what? Maybe he did. I, I, I'm going to hate myself if yes, this he is did. what actually happened. He did. That's uh, where he first learned how to do it was your favorite story. Why? Why is this my life? <laughs> oh my this gosh. one's better. This one is so much better. And he does it with Galactus. It is such a great idea. And... <sighs> hey, with the L'Enfant, though, that guy actually could grow in size. So maybe that was a literal cover. And this is more of a, a metaphor. This is his first symbolic cover. You yeah. know what? I am taking that story and I'm going to stick to it. There you go. Because holy damn. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so um, this is great. This is great. So we open up with uh, the X-Men doing their usual training shenanigans because that's just how we have to fill pages and we get to know some people. Um, There's some really terrible bullying where the angel, the really handsome, rich, uh, all the women love him hero, takes a little boy who's uncomfortable around girls and doesn't really have his social status there and hangs him up by his underwear on a hook. Angel, what are you doing with your life? Uh, I hate that part. We'll talk more about that later. Um, at the end of the training, um, Xavier's like, here, Jean Grey, do this one training exercise. Open this box. And she opens the box and oh, it's a birthday cake because it's been one year since Charles Xavier started the X-Men. If we ignore all the retcons that come later. So <laughs> right. They have some cake, and while they're eating their cake, we change scenes to another group of mutants, also around a table, also eating food. But these are the Brotherhood. They're Toad, Quicksilver, the Scarlet Witch, and Mastermind. Um, And they sit, and they kind of hate each other, and they argue about some random crap. And um, Mastermind makes a really gross pass at the Scarlet Witch. And so she, like, responds by using her hex power to knock over a vase of water on Mastermind. And Mastermind's like, ah, you're, ah, ah, ah. And Quicksilver's like, don't you dare threaten my sister. And he runs in and punches out Mastermind. And Toad is like, I'm going to tell our leader that you're fighting. I'm going to tell our leader that you're fighting. <laughs> um, and where is the leader? Who is the leader? Could it possibly be the big guy on the front cover? Yes, it is. Magneto is currently out... Um, threatening military people and um, making, he takes over like a weapons base of some sort. It's some sort of like ship. Yeah. Yeah. He captures a ship and using his magnetic powers, he runs the entire ship on his own. So we go from issue one where he had to have a machine to amplify his powers. Evidently he's been working out. Um, So we go back to the uh, X-Men Oh, because the angel was out scouting around, and the only thing he saw was this one automatically driven ship. And he goes and tells Xavier, I didn't see anything except this one automatically driven ship. And Xavier's like, huh, I didn't think there'd be any automatically driven ships out there today. Hmm, automatically driven ship, eh? 
And uh, he's like, I feel like, I feel like, I feel like that ship's important. Call it a, a plot device, if you, I mean, a hunch, if you will. So we go back to the uh, mutants. They have gone to a lonely, uncharted island in the Atlantic. And Magneto is there and he finds that people are arguing. He's like, why were you arguing? And um, he reminds Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch that they are sworn to obey him and that they owe him their lives because the Scarlet Witch was being tormented by some villagers in Eastern Europe who saw her use her powers and called her a Scarlet Witch. And it looked like they were going to burn her or something until uh, Magneto's like, no, come no further, homo sapiens. And uh, he rescues the Scarlet Witch. And so Quicksilver is there with his sister and they're going to obey Magneto, even though they don't really like him that much. Um, meanwhile, Xavier finds out that Magneto has taken over an island. And so he first calls all the X-Men to him, but then he passes out and tells him to shut up while he does his little astral stuff. And he sends his mind out and contacts Magneto's mind. And they have like a mind to mind conversation with their astral bodies. And, um, Xavier wakens up and he's like, okay, this is bad. Magneto's bad. We've got to go fight him. It's going to be bad. And so they go out to the island. Meanwhile, Magneto takes over the island. Mastermind uses illusions of huge armies that don't exist to scare all the people. But then he actually recruits actual people to be in his army. Um, so the mutants come to visit and they're dressed in their you know regular clothes. And they go to Island of Magneto and decide to infiltrate his castle. Um, they do infiltrate his castle and they fight the Brotherhood. There's lots of cool fighting with Feitenstein um, with Quicksilver and the Angel. And uh, Scarlet Witch uses her hex power on the Angel to make some wall fall on him. Cyclops uses his eye beams to blow up some buildings or some structures and machinery or something. Anyway, suffice it to say, Magneto's like, you know what? I'm going to set up two bombs and you're going to leave us alone. The first bomb is going to blow up here. So while you're dealing with that, we're going to go. Also, there's another bomb that's going to kill you and blow up the entire island. And that's what you get for getting in my way, mutants. And so the Brotherhood leaves, but not before Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch run back and turn off the big nuclear bomb that's going to blow up the island. So they're an interesting pair of peoples um then xavier uh he's along for the ride because he thinks he can save the day with his with his mind powers again but instead he just gets in the way and there's a bomb and he dives in front of it and it explodes and he no longer has his powers and they have to carry him back to the 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 mansion and now his mind his so powerful human mind, at least I have the human mind, the greatest weapon on earth today, is no longer working. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. I feel like they knew they were using the same deus ex brainia um, at the end of every issue. <laughs> uh-huh. And so they're like, you know what? Fine. We're going to kill it. See what happens. I think exactly that when I read it. Like, oh, well, now they can't use that plot device next issue unless he gets it back immediately. Yeah, unless. Okay, so just to clarify, how much of this run of X-Men do you know? Little to nothing. Okay, cool. So, yeah. Um, I didn't start reading. I mean, I'm more into the, you know, once they expand and get out of these outfits. 
Right. I mean, I know I of know these you, characters, but yeah, I haven't read these As far as the books. nuances of the plot and the actual stories of the run. Cool. Mm-hmm. I've read this run of 66 issues through at least a couple times. Mm-hmm. And these early issues I've read like innumerable times. So um, it'll be neat to see because you don't know what's going to happen next issue. And that's really fun. I don't. I don't. And I have to say, even though I ultimately know or, you know, maybe this has changed since last I read a comic, but I ultimately know the relationships of Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver and Magneto. Mm-hmm. I kind of have never understood how it plays out or how it got established that way. So right, right now it's not established at all that way. So it'd be interest. It'll be interesting if we ever get that far to see how that actually works. Because I just know it, but I don't know why. Right. I think that actual connection is not established until like the Vision and Scarlet Witch Avengers West Coast days. Okay, so we'll never get to it. But I have always wondered, like, why is there so many issues of them not knowing that about the each, all three of each other? Right. But, uh, yeah, there must be a reason. Yeah, yeah, we'll have to see how it goes. Um, and I could be wrong. I was surprised when I was doing my X-Men read-through. That never came up. But the thing is, even though they're connected to the X-Men and the Quicksilver has his time on X-Teams, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch are not really X-characters. No, they're Avengers. They're Avengers, and Quicksilver has bonds with the uh, the Inhumans. He does, and, yeah, and the X teams. But he, but but he's more of an Avenger character. Someone posted a picture of like '80s Avengers the other day with the Beast in it, and I suddenly remembered that I really loved the Beast as an Avenger too, mm-hmm. like like more than as an X Men. So it's fun to it's fun to read him as a founding member of the X Men. But yeah, eventually he'll like be a really fun Avenger. Yeah, and he's an Avenger for a long time. He uh-huh. joins the Avengers right around the time the X-Men are getting back off the ground. Uh-huh. Um, and he's there up until X-Factor. Yeah. I think he makes a better Avenger than an X-Men, but I don't know. I guess X-Men um, fans would be like, no, he's ours. And Avengers fans will be like, no, he's ours. But, you know, that's a good place the to camaraderie, be. The camaraderie with him and Power Man is like one of those Wonder classic dynamics. Yeah, sorry, Wonder Man. Yeah. Those classic dynamics of the past that like people are nostalgic after, and I've never totally. read any of it. So totally, totally great. But anyway, that's not here. He's still an X Men right now. So Magneto and the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Stan Lee said that never in his run did he have Magneto refer to them as evil mutants. It happens in the narration. It happens with other people who don't like them. But Magneto, not seeing himself as evil, never refers to them as evil mutants. And I'm going to see if that's true. Well, he did it in this book. Right. He does not do it in this book. Because I was looking. Yeah. Because I really wanted to make fun of him if he called himself evil. But uh, he didn't. I think he does under other people's writing, but not understand. But we're going to pay attention as we go. It makes sense. Because... Of all the villains, like he should be the most who doesn't think of himself as evil. He has a point of view Mm -hmm. and a fairly arguable point of view in a way. So, um, I like, I like that he's like really nuanced and complex before it does. It's going to get, what's that? Go ahead. Okay. Uh, it was just one of those little audio glitches again. I just going to say that, um, before it gets like nuanced and complex, it's going to get really stereotypical villain cartoonish. Yeah, so that's the problem. I Yeah, he is a very interesting character eventually, but, you know, it actually reminds me of that scene in the movie where, um, you know, he's got Rogue all, the first movie, he's got Rogue all, like, you know, set up to, to take the heat for his awesome destroy the world plan, and Wolverine's like, 
yeah, you're not really in this for all of us because if you were, it'd be you up there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the difference. And sometimes I feel like that's a bad thing. Like I wish they hadn't done like, – like I wish he would care more about his mutant team members, for instance. If he's all about mutants – you know, why does he treat Toad badly? Or why would he probably be the first to, like, leave these guys to die if it suited him? You know what I mean? Whereas, right. like, whereas, like, a real hero wouldn't do that. So it would have been cool if they had made him a hero to his people. It, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I've heard the comparison of, like, Professor X is Martin Luther King and Magneto is Malcolm X. Because Malcolm X was, uh, you know, willing to be violent. Right? I've heard people say that that's a gross over-exaggeration well, of and oversimplification. Of course. So I don't really know. Of course, but in that sense, even Malcolm X would not leave his people to just die to save himself, and he oh, would not—he right. would not treat—he would not treat his own people badly. Whether he hates, you know, white people or not is another argument. But Magneto is a villain, especially in these books. He's a villain, yeah, um, and that's kind of not as fun. But you know, so he evolves. Um, a few things. Iceman has his icy coating melted off during the training sequence. Mm-hmm. Do you think of Iceman as having an icy coating or of being solid ice? I always thought it was a coating because I watched Super Friends. Or, uh, oh, yeah. Or uh, Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Sorry, Yes, that's DC. what it is. Spider-Man's amazing friends. Yeah, it's like he would he make-, he'd make a block of ice and then he'd break it and he'd be coated. Okay. I feel like whenever he's snowy like this, the idea of having an icy coating makes a lot more sense. But like later, I've always thought of him as being solid ice. I don't know why. He gets a face now, though. He didn't have that before. You're right. He didn't. Um, some more details to the drawing. He His his costume is just boots. Snow, covered <laughs> in snow and boots. Yep. And he has his little undies because Angel hangs him by them. Yeah. <sighs> okay, let's get into it. I well, The thing is, it's not a whole lot to say. It's just that like... This is this is a young kid. Y'all are teenagers. There's a girl in the room. Obviously, Iceman has some social issues because he's, you know, not entirely sure what his identity is yet. And you go and you hang him by his underwear where, like, he could be, like, humiliatingly revealed. And I feel like it's a really majorly bad assault. Yeah, and his teacher's there, too. And it's just done for a joke. And I, uh Yeah, and no one says anything either. So... That's just a uh, common fare in this time, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Um, but continuity, this has been one year. So do you think Jean Grey came in like six months ago? How can it be a year and we're only on issue four? Okay, so I was counting the months. Um, oh, but it's every other month. Uh-huh. It is every other month. So issue one comes out on day X. Issue two is two months later. So we are six months after issue one came out. And I wasn't sure if X-Men number one was their first day because it seemed like they'd been doing stuff already. Right. And even before we get like all the massive numbers of retcons later in the first run of X-Men, we do get some like background stories to how they came together. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking it's been a year since Xavier recruited Cyclops. Mm -hmm. I think that would make sense. It's probably not a year since their first mission against Magneto, but I think – Maybe he's been training them for a little while before that happened. Yeah. Um, um, I love this uh, one panel to the next of the five happy good team eating. And then it, the same camera shot and everything. And it's like the four bad guy team eating. Yes. It's That's a really so great good. transition. So good. One could almost imagine the um, 
the camera zooming in on some aspect of the table uh-huh. and rotating a little bit and zooming out on a different table that has like the same teacup or something on it. It's it's and great you have this too because team sitting on another table. It's like this nice bright room and they're all eating cake and they're all smiling and Cyclops is overkilling it by slicing the cake with his optic beams because he's crazy. And then the next panel is like four people scowling in a dark room that's candlelit by this weird, you know, waxy candle and looks like the food is kind of gross and not awesome cake. But I love that Bobby is the toad. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. And it's and and Professor Xavier is mastermind. That's not as great, but they are still in the same position, same pose. Yeah, it's true, and kind of the same power, sort of. Yeah, kind of the same. Yeah, there's certainly some overlap and both, both mental guys, right? Yeah. So I really love the Scarlet Witch, and she's introduced here. And I figure maybe like your favorite guy, we're going to get to next episode. We can give a little bit of extra attention to her if that's okay. Sure. Um. On page five, her second panel, she says, how dare you speak to me that way? I'd sooner die than marry you. And she gestures. And so her brother, I guess, says, Wanda, don't point your finger at him. You know that always causes a disaster to occur. And it implies that she can't control her power. Mm -hmm. But then panel three, she says, don't concern yourself, Pietro. I would not waste more than a trickle of my power on such as him. So she knew exactly what she was doing here. She has got freaky weird powers. As, uh-huh. they, as they said in uh, Age of Ultron. Um, I don't know exactly what the extent of her powers is. Like some sort of telekinesis slash bad luck or something. In this, it looks like it's bad luck so far. It has to do with probability and they expand on that later. And she does get some actual sorceress abilities as oh, well. that too. Yeah. But but her, her innate mutant ability deals with um, probability and causing unlikely stuff to occur. Bad stuff. Or Usually just, bad stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's a cool ability. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting because it's more it's, – it's not as easily explained or as direct. So it's neat that some people have powers that aren't just, I can put a blue spot on the wall. Right. You know, it's something like – it reminds me of – I used to read this Xanth series for anybody mm-hmm. out there by Piers X-A-N-T-H. Anthony. X-A-N-T-H, yeah, Piers Anthony. Remember the main character, the original main character's power, he didn't think he had one. Everybody supposedly has a power in this world, right? That's the plot of the or the premise. He didn't think he had one, but it turned out his power the entire time was that nothing can hurt him based on like probability and random chance and stuff. And one of the reasons his power never manifested itself because it decided that it was better for him safety-wise if no one knew he had this power. Oh. So, kind of the same idea, like you don't know what's going to happen when you point, but I guess the picture fell over. It did. It did yeah. fall over. And even if she didn't choose that particular item to happen, I think she she you know has enough control over what's going on. Um, I love that Quicksilver is very immediately defined. He is very protective toward Wanda, and he is very arrogant. That and seems to like, be his two things that he has for the rest of his character life. Yeah, yeah, at least in these early years, that 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 is that is his thing. He'll Those move, two are his thing. He'll switch from Scarlet Witch to Crystal at some point, but otherwise, yeah, it's pretty yeah, much that's what he does. Do you ever feel like the idea that Magneto was their leader would have been a cool reveal if we hadn't seen it on the cover? Um, yeah, except page six, the panel that reveals him isn't all that exciting either. You're right. He kind of just walks in a door. Hey, guys. It reminds me of that panel when Doctor Doom walked into the Marvel office. Hey, guys. Hey. Hi. And Sam and Jack are like, I know who you are. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, I just feel like sometimes that there's a moment in a story that feels like it's supposed to be suspenseful or like dramatic, except it was on the cover. So yeah. it wasn't that big of a deal. Yeah. They're kind of torn between like having a cool interior and also selling the book. Right. So Magneto is a character that people know. So we got to slap him on there and nobody knows who Toad Mastermind Quicksilver and a green Scarlet Witch are. Why is she green? Yeah. Green Scarlet Witch. That's weird. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. Um, the Magneto Toad dynamic, you mentioned it earlier. This also go is immediately defined mm-hmm. and does not change for years. Yeah. So some guy, some so much for him being like the guy who stands up for mutant kind. He doesn't even treat his own people nice. Mm-hmm. But whatever. And also, I was thinking like, Toad. It's always it's always the ugly ones that are bad and the the handsome ones that are good. But then I kind of backpedaled on that and thought, well, if you are an ugly mutant, you probably have a worse experience in life than pretty mutants who can hide it. So maybe you do statistically come out more likely bad than pretty people. Toad does eventually find his spine, and I really like him whenever he becomes the leader of the Brotherhood much later. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now, he's just – he is his name. The, the word Toady is very much a descriptor for him. Does he even – like, do they even talk about what he can do? I guess he can jump, right? That's his thing. We see him jumping all the freaking time, and then I think the next time the Brotherhood show up, he is jumping around. That is his thing. Okay. So he is he – is, in the movie, he has that tongue. Of course, yeah. But in this, he's just a jumper. Okay, so he jumps, and he's short and weird looking. And wears like a, a weird jester collar. What is that? What is he wearing? What are those clothes? Um, yeah, jester, court jester. I feel like he and Mastermind went to the weirdo shop to buy their clothes. Mastermind looks like he's from like um, uh, Sherlock Holmesy in England or something. Right. I don't know. Is he English? Like you know, I always voiced him as English whenever I would voice him for, um, you know, reading to my kids and stuff. Like, kind of Cockney or, or, yeah. or, you know, low English at this point, And then more refined whenever he's more London when he's Jason Wingard later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard to say because we can't hear their voices, but. Uh... Yeah. Okay, so uh, page seven. Mm-hmm. I swear to you, in the last issue, Professor Xavier was also giving Angel a physical. So I really hope that this isn't a new thing where every issue, Professor Xavier is giving Angel a physical. Like, at least change it up a little bit. It's getting kind of awkward. Angel is very pretty. <laughs> right? <laughs> Keep thinking the pretty one to, like, roll up the sleeves and take the shirt off. Right. Come here, Angel. Let me, uh, let me feel your arm again. <laughs> let me see if your heartbeat is still working. Touching the child is not okay, Professor. Stop it. <laughs> Um, okay. So Magneto at least claims, and I, what you were talking about earlier, finding out how everything develops. I really want to know if this origin story, if there's more going on here than Magneto is actually telling. Well, he surely doesn't tell a lot because we don't know why he's there. Right. It feels like the sort of scene that could get a lot of developments and flushed out later. Like what was happening before this? What happened just after this? What was, you know, uh, huh. Were there other emotions going on? But he claims to have literally saved Wanda's life, and she is young. Mm-hmm. It only makes sense that she would feel an obligation to Magneto. But it's going to be great when she moves past that. Well, especially since he's hammering it over their heads. He won't even let them not feel the obligation. Yeah, yeah. So he's just blackmailing them to be on this team, or guilting them into being on the team, I guess. And I get why the villagers might call her a witch, but why a Scarlet Witch? Like that's what they say. She's a Scarlet Witch. Her power must be destroyed. 
Look at that blue dress with the brown hair. Scarlet Witch. Right. Yeah. Scarlet I Witch. I don't know. I don't know. Because she was an like, adulteress? <laughs> Why does she have an A on the front? That's not what stands for witch. I don't know. Maybe it was supposed to be a red dress. Maybe it was a Hawthorne reference. Maybe it was a reference to the Scarlet Letter. She's a cast out woman. Oh my gosh. You might have cracked the code on Maybe that. I would is, not be surprised. Is Scarlet Witch a saying before Scarlet Witch a character? No, but like this, the Scarlet Letter. Well, yeah. Um, but that was a that red was all, letter. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, like maybe it's supposed to be like that was in Stan's mind. Yeah, I guess. Still maybe. makes no sense. But it doesn't make much sense. It just could have been, uh, you know, part of the inspiration for the name. Um, also, Quicksilver says, "I'm still not sold on your whole thing, Magneto. But as long as my sister stays here, I'll go along with you. I have no love for humans either." Uh huh. And. I like to think that Quicksilver is not necessarily bigoted towards humans, but more that he just like hates everyone equally. So he has no love for humans because he has no love for everyone, for anyone <laughs> except for him and his sister. Yeah, he's very Submariner. Um, he really is in that way. But I do think, if memory serves, that he's probably the more bigoted of the two, or the the slower to turn around, maybe. And we kind of get a um, right. We kind of get a, a Norman Osborn, Harry Osborn thing with the hair. Because we see Quicksilver here, and we see Quicksilver's hair. And it's not until a very much long time later that we see Magneto, and Magneto has the same hair. Ah, uh-huh. yeah, that, that'd be it. Maybe, maybe after they establish they're related? Maybe. No? I don't know. I don't know. Does Magneto have astral abilities? No. So I'm thinking that's Charles doing that, and it's just a cool visual. But is this the first time they've talked? This is the first time they have talked in this comic, yes. And of course, there's no talk of them knowing each other or anything yet, but... No. But, uh, yeah, interesting that Xavier can't just, like, knock him out because he, I mean, the, the the whole thing of that helmet is that it's supposed to keep him out of his brain, which, of course, hasn't been established yet. I think that's a movie thing. Is that a movie thing? I think it is. I could be wrong. I thought I think it was a thing. That that was a, mu- uh, that was a movie thing. Huh. Uh, also, it's an Ultimate X-Men thing. In the Ultimate X-Men, he has that power with his helmet. I thought if they did that in the Jim Lee X-Men, too, but I could be... I don't know. Maybe I'm just... It's the Juggernaut's helmet. The Juggernaut's helmet keeps the Xavier out. Yeah, because that's magic. Keeps everybody right. out. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but even though they don't... They haven't established they know each other, this conversation between them here on the on the um, astral plane, it does work with them knowing each other. It's a little bit simplistic, but you can read... If you know it, you can pretend there's a past relationship here. Yeah, um, yeah, you could. It does. There's nothing to say that it isn't. There that they don't know each other. Right. Okay. So on page eleven, he says, "The moment I have dreaded is at hand. Magneto is preparing his all-out offensive against mankind. We must ensure that he never succeeds." So he's either been dreading this moment for three issues or for a lot of years, depending on how much context you have. Ah. <laughs> oh. Did it say like what country this is supposed to be, or it's just a Marvel thing? Um, the island nation is Santo Marco, so I'm guessing it's going to stand in for like Cuba, okay, or uh, one of the Hispanic, you know, conquered islands of the Caribbean. And then it just becomes a fight, essentially. Yeah, I was trying to think of something else. Oh well, the two bomb thing is interesting. Like you said, uh, you know, the bad guys aren't so bad after all because they stop one of them, mm-hmm. and then the other one takes out. Xavier and they did bring him uh, uh, and he did prove useful against Mastermind a little bit but otherwise it's like why do you keep bringing this wheelchair guy with you everywhere well he saved them for the last two issues they need him 
So they saved him with the Vanisher. He saved them. And he saved mm-hmm. them with the Blob. You're right. Yeah. So he is like an actual full-fledged member, apparently. I guess. He is not willing to cut the apron strings. He's been saving them. He's been diving in and 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 realizing that, oh, no, I can't do that anymore because I've been blasted by a bomb. Yeah. Um. There are a couple moments with Wanda where I'm reading into more subtext than needs to be there. Um, at the bottom of page 11, when they're conquering, she says, if I didn't know better, I too would swear I'm gazing at a real flesh and blood army. But is it necessary to plant such fear in the hearts of the people? Like, she owes stuff to Magneto. So she's willing to go along. So she's trying to buy into all of his rhetoric. Mm-hmm. But she's not comfortable. No. She doesn't feel good about the fact that they are literally conquering a nation. And, you know, if we're to go with history, this is probably the second time this island has been conquered by white people. Oh, she because- clear- she clearly doesn't like what she's doing. She doesn't like her team members. I don't even think she yeah. likes Magneto. Quicksilver hates everybody except his sister. Um, so really, it's the Masters of Evil 3 and then these two who are going to ditch him soon. You can tell. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like I said, all this stuff is a lot of fun. There's a lot of commentary on totalitarian regimes, mm-hmm. um, which since they're in Santo Marco, they're not actually indicting any one regime in particular, but they do talk about the totalitarian aspects here with the X-Men coming in as mutants and how they have to have passes to get in and some of the conversations surrounding that. Yeah. I like how they draw uh, Quicksilver as just a green blur for now anyway. That's kind of cool. Yeah, that is I, cool. I like speedsters, but I've never really... I don't think- Cared about Quicksilver, oddly. I don't know why. Yeah, he's he's a jerk. He's and like, a, yeah. You have to love that he's a jerk or hate the character. And he runs fast, but he doesn't do any like fun, hokey fast things. No, he doesn't like like Golden Age Flash shove a guy through a tree because if a hurricane force wind puts a piece of straw into a tree, right. the straw won't break. And so the guy doesn't break when it gets shoved through a tree. Yeah, he doesn't vibrate through walls. He doesn't time travel. Uh, Maybe I'm just only thinking of the Flash, but even like, uh, uh, what's his face can vibrate and fly. Um, Johnny Quick, mm-hmm. like Quicksilver, just runs fast. Quicksilver does eventually discover that he can go into the air for short times. Oh, okay, there you go. Uh, I don't know how long they use that, but I remember I remember that it happens during this initial run. And he's great in those two movies, but uh, you know, yeah, I mean, Quicksilver is the highlight of the two <laughs> X Men films, right? I watched both of those going. Oh, he beat the Flash onto the screen. It kind of made me a little sad, but I also loved it. But then the Avengers movie is like, yeah, Quicksilver's not much of a character, so we don't need him very long. Mm-hmm. Let's use a Scarlet Witch. She's more interesting. Yeah. Yeah, He that Quicksilver was much more like the comic Quicksilver. He ran fast. Mm-hmm. You didn't see that coming? And in the Avengers movie, he and Wanda have accents because they are Eastern European grown. Mm-hmm. Which they are in here, right? Yeah, yeah, they're, they're it, found in a European village. They must be, because they're going to get burned as a witch, so that can't be like America, hopefully. Unless it's 1692. <laughs> Maybe they're immortals. I don't know. Yeah. We get to page 16, and, um, you know, Wanda gets apparent reinforcement that Magneto is right. Whenever she comes into a room, she sees Quicksilver is down, and the angel is standing over him. Mm-hmm. So she figures that the angel has harmed Quicksilver, which means Magneto is right. The X-Men would destroy her if they could. So the X-Men are not the good guys, which probably gives her more motivation to stay with Magneto for a while. Even though we come into this story with them having misgivings, she's like, well, this is the way things have to be. This is not the best guy, but this is where our best hopes are. Which is kind of dummy logic because it's like, 
you are attacking them and trying to hurt them. So you expect them to just be like, hey, can't we all just get along? Well, no, the X-Men are attacking them. Well, they're attacking them because they took over a city with an army. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Wait, what do they expect? What does she expect, I guess? I think it's one of those things where you, depending on which side of the perspective you're on, you might have less of a fully fledged idea. Like, like she's working with Magneto to take over this island because this is how mutants, this is how mutants exert their freedom in the world. Yeah. Is it necessary to cause so much fear? Yes, it's necessary. Okay. Well, yeah, we're expanding the cause of mutant kind. Let's go, Magneto. Oh, wait, the X-Men are trying to stop us. They would kill us if they could. They just hurt my brother. Wow. They must really be terrible bad guys. So let's stop them. It just, it just seems like how like your perspective might be very narrow if you're only on one side. And to be fair, it looks like Quicksilver's down, and it looks like Angel is going to choke him or something instead or of checking his full. Yeah, so it's like he's not he's not just taking Quicksilver out. He looks like he's going to like try and kill him after he's already down. Yeah, and um, there's a moment that I kind of love on page 19. Um, Angel and Iceman and Cyclops are like barreling down this hallway when suddenly all these weapons come hurling at them like that one scene in that old horror comedy house from the 1980s when all the knives are coming at the guy in the tool shed all these loads are coming at them and it's like oh crap sorry guys that was me it's gene and the beast over here <laughs> i thought y'all were magneto sorry i did i didn't mean to stab you bobby i'm, I'm sorry that was funny yeah that's good if not lethal <laughs> it would have been less funny if Bobby had died. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Bobby. I didn't mean to dismember you. Yeah. yeah I know you were hanging from, uh, from, by, from your underwear earlier in the story, and now you're stabbed to the heart with a sword. I didn't mean to do that. <sighs> um, Professor X is more powerful than Mastermind, so that's good to know. And he saves the day once again, like you said earlier. A yeah. little bit of a different way here, but, you know. Yeah. But he's not anymore. Ha ha. Not anymore. Now, okay. So why does a bomb take so, your mutant power away? It, it had a head, a head shock. It blasted oh. him in the head. Okay, there you go. He dove for the door to stand between them and the blast, and it, it gave him a concussion of some sort. Okay, makes sense. Um, and of course, it'll last forever. This is the la- this is the end of Xavier's powers, right? <laughs> right. Cyclops takes over next issue, and but how long will it last? That's the question. I think next issue. You think next issue? That's what we've got so far lately. Because or, cliffhangers have always been resolved in the next issue, right? Yep. Because remember, Jane was going to leave. I was really excited about that dynamic for 12 issues, and it turned out to be like one story. Right. Uh, yeah. I can't think of anything that's lasted more than an issue so far. You know, you you make a compelling argument. There has been no change in the status quo that has not been resolved by the next issue. Except right. for Betty's mysterious uh, reason for being weird. Yeah. Well, okay, so she left at the end of Amazing Spider-Man 10, mm-hmm. but we're going to find out why in 11. No, but even before that, she's freaked out that Peter's putting himself in danger, and they never resolved that either. Oh, you're so right. So that's at least two issues now of not knowing what's going on with her. Subplots. 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 I do like that Pietro is conflicted enough with what's going on with Magneto. So here's how I'm reading this. Wanda owes her life to Magneto. Uh Wanda is trying to figure out how she feels about Magneto's rhetoric. Pietro's along for the ride. He is not comfortable with the idea of blowing up an island Mm -hmm. full of people. So even though he's going to stay loyal to Magneto because of Wanda, he does run back to undo the bomb. And I think that that is going to help influence his and Wanda's approach to Magneto. Wanda is not comfortable either. No. But she thinks it. 
And at no point that I saw did she say, hey, brother, go save them. So he, on his own volition, did that, which is kind of cool. Right. It's the sort of thing they'll probably have like private conversations about later. Mm -hmm. But yeah, they each separately are having issues with all of this. But the cool thing is, is, is like as a superhero comic thing, like this immediately makes them stand out as villains. They are not your normal villains. Right. They're more complex than possibly any villain we've seen in the comics so far. Because and, they're on the side of wrong, but they don't like that they're on the side of wrong. Yeah, and I feel like it's they're going to be on the side of wrong for a little while, too. For a little while. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to take a little bit of time. But in the, in the scope of comics history, Avengers 16 is not that far away. Yeah, just the scope of our podcast. <laughs> yeah, just the scope of our podcast is going to take a little while to get there. 16 years later, hey, they're good guys now. <laughs> and I forget how long the Brotherhood lasts in the X-Men because there is a little stretch between the end of the Brotherhood and the X Avengers 16 issue, but I don't know when that happens. Oh, I imagine the Brotherhood just has roster changes like every other team, but possibly, yeah. I don't know. All right. Well, that um that might be the end of our issue. What do you think? Uh definitely the best X-Men we've read so far, I think. Yeah. Yeah, this is the this is the top of the stack so far. I think it leaves one kind of far behind. One was eh, it was okay. It was like established everything. Two was horrible. Blob was fun but had problems. And now this one, yeah. This, so this is the best one. Yeah, and uh, Xavier has saved the day three out of the four issues, but this time it has cost him dearly. Yep. Let's take that option off the table," said the writers. <laughs> All right. Well, we are um, we are past the hour and a half mark. If uh, I haven't edited this thing yet, but it might be just under an hour and a half after the edit. So let's do some thank yous. And um, where can people where can people find our show? If you type "Make Ours Marvel" into your favorite podcast player, hopefully it comes up. If it doesn't come up, go to our website makeoursmarvel.com, where you will find links to various things that we think people use to play podcasts. And if you don't see it there, then use the contact form or email us podcast at makeoursmarvel.com and let us know what we're missing. And I'll add it to that too. Right. So we have had people following us on Twitter and we love when you follow us on Twitter. That is fantastic. So, um, all right. Since we last spoke, I've been kind of busy on the internets, talking to people and meeting people. So I'm trying to figure out where we last, I think Hey Nana was either the first person to join us since we last spoke. No, because we talked about curling mm-hmm. and how pseudo pseudolus fortitudalis is a curler. Yes. Um, I remember that. I think we talked about Le Diable Blanc, a dedicated fan of heavy metal and rock music, a true believer in the Marvel Universe, and especially down for the Raging Cajun Gambit. He is at Get Metal. So we're going to start with him. So thank you, uh, Le Diable Blanc. The, the white devil for following us. Um, mostly speaking Sentai at MSS pod. They have followed us on Twitter. They are a podcast um, about the super Sentai series. Another year of, and another version of my son and I are going to be doing another podcast about the same series. So they're doing die Ranger, which is in the mid nineties. My son and I are going to be doing go Ranger, or I should say when this comes out already are doing go Ranger over at super silly Sentai. Um, but you can follow at MSS pod for the mostly speak in Sentai die Ranger discussion podcast. That's a, I don't know if they're a married couple, but it is a, a man and a woman, James and Nicole. Um, 
We have at Ronnie Moore Vieira. Thank you for following us. We have Stephen Wise at Keystone Kid, but the E is the number three. We have at Eamon T. Hennedy. Thank you, Eamon. He is a writer and reviewer for television and film for at Set the Tape and a lover of all things pop culture. We have uh, at Sal Abenanti. He is an artist and official art dealer of Alex Ross and Bilson Kevitz. Wow. So he's a dealer of their art. So thank you very much for following us, Sal. We have, okay, so James from Mostly Speaking Sentai is starting up another show called This Movie's Gay. <laughs> okay. And he and um, his homosexual friend, Corwin, are talking about movies that are hella gay. I am so happy um, they're both homosexual. Well, James is not, but Corwin oh, is. Well, that's at least um, good. Yeah, yeah. I feel like two straight guys talking about movies with a high gay content might be a little bit weird. Yeah. But um, their first movie that they did an episode about is called Hellbent. And I'm just going to say, go to MDIB and look up Hellbent. And yeah, that movie is definitely gay. And they're talking about it. And I want to watch the movie this weekend and listen to the show. <laughs> it's a good concept. Um, and the last person I mentioned this episode on Twitter is a podcast that I have recently started listening to, and I love it so much. So Young Justice is getting a third season in January. Wow. Um, by the time you hear this, they've already gotten a third season in January. And um, so my family, my kids and I have been re-watching the Young Justice first season, and I never finished the second season. So when we get into that, it's going to be new material for me. But at the YJ Files is the Twitter handle for a podcast called Whelmed, the Young Justice podcast, um, as in overwhelmed or underwhelmed, but mm -hmm. nobody's ever just whelmed. Yeah. Um, it's an in-joke in on the show if you haven't seen the show. So Whelmed, the YJ podcast, or at the YJ Files, definitely go check them out if you like Young Justice. If you just like DC superheroes with a focus on the Teen Titans type characters, definitely worth checking out because although it is an index podcast for the episodes of the show, there's a lot more to it than just that. They do a lot more stuff than just that. So definitely recommend you check them out. Um, over on the book face, uh, as I try to quickly bring up our Facebook page on my iPad, um, we have gotten likes. Um, we actually got a Facebook recommendation from Gunnar Lauhofer. So thank you very much for uh, recommending us on the Facebooks. Um, you said that name out loud like a champ. Thank you. Because I read you. it yesterday and was like, oh, I hope I don't have to say that name out loud. And I think I've already said thank you to Rob Murphy for uh, following us or liking us on Facebook. But thank you again. And John Tubbissing and Joe Crawford and Christopher Adam Reese. Thank you all for liking and supporting the page on Facebook. If you want to support the show, retweeting new episodes on Twitter, sharing new episodes on Facebook, those are the best ways of getting us out into your areas. You can do the whole review thing too as well, but we really like you just talking up the show and telling people about it because we want other people to listen. Although we did get two new iTunes reviews also. We have. So um, thanks for we'll that, talking too. About, yeah, in our, in our uh, mailbag episodes, we'll be yeah. talking about those. Yeah. Okay. Anything else for this episode? That's a wrap. All right. Well, until our new friends Wanda and Pietro are revealed to be the children of the Whizzer, make ours marvel. marvel.